Hey everyone, it's Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com, and you're listening to a DevOps video chat. Today's DevOps video chat features Corey Scobie, SVP of engineering, is it? Product and engineering, yeah. Product and engineering now at Chef. Hey, Corey, welcome. Thanks, Alan. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. So, Corey, today's a kind of a red letter, big day in the history of Chef. Um, you guys are announcing some pretty significant changes to the model, is I guess what I would call them. Though, yeah. you know, I don't think the changes are as big as some may initially feel, but let, let's go over them. I'm going to let you take the take the wheel here. Yeah, Tell thank our you. Yeah, so it, it is a big day for us today, Chef. Um, we are announcing some changes to the way that we both produce and then ultimately distribute our software, um, which I think are really exciting. You know, there's a lot... Uh, going on in the industry right now. And as, as you probably know, Chef has been one of the sort of marquee players in the open source software development community for some time. Um, part of the, the, the announcement that we're making today that I think is most exciting is, is we're announcing that what we're going to do is going forward produce 100% of our product-oriented software in, in that open source model. Um, and, and for us, that's a change because we, we sort of over time and through the addition of additional projects and additional software at Chef had started following a little bit of an open source, open core path, which means that we had some proprietary software and some open source software. But when we got down to it and we thought about sort of the history of Chef and the roots of what has made Chef such great software in the past, um, it really came down to collaboration. And we realized that the best way to make software is to make it in collaboration with the people that actually use the software at the end of the day. And so for us, that's, you know, that's the sort of the big first talking point about the announcement is that we are committed to 100% open source software development going forward. We're, we're committing all of our software to open source repos in GitHub, um, and then ultimately attaching it and, and giving it to the commons with the Apache 2.0 license. Sure. So... Corey, you know, so you're talking to someone who has a, a bit of a history in open source, sure. 20 years. <laughs> and, you know, I remember when the whole sort of open core movement, you know, first came out. And look, you know, Richard Stallman and that crew, you know, they were really against open core because they felt it was, it was almost a heresy to the, to the whole kind of cathedral and bizarre open source kind of crowd. Where if it's open, it's open. It, it can't be a little bit open, like you can't be a little bit pregnant. And but nevertheless, we've seen companies succeed with this open core or freemium premium, where you know the core is free and and the and there are premium modules on top of it. But it, it's a it's a slippery slope, right? And I and I and and in, in all honesty, I think Chef got caught in a little bit with that slippery slope of what's truly open, what's free. What is what is our you know proprietary that we make money from? Yeah, and I don't know if the market really got it. Yeah, I think you know one of the things that it is really tough when you are an open when you're following an open core strategy is drawing a very clean line between what is free and what is not free in in the world of your your technology offerings. Right. And for us, you know that got complicated and then even conflated further as we added more projects to the list. Right when we when we opened um, the Inspect project for security and compliance, when we opened Habitat for application automation, 
Um, what ended up happening is we had multiple projects that were governed different ways that had different lines between the free and the core part of it. Um, and, you know, and I think ultimately at the end of the day, I, having had I been at Chef during that part of the journey, I probably would have made the same decisions, I'm guessing. But, but at some point, you kind of get back to this reconciliation point where it's like, look, the, the best thing that you can do for customers, number one, is you can collaborate with them. And number two is that you can have a really, really clean line between what is free and what is not free in your world. And for us, it, it becomes super simple with this announcement. What is free is all of the intellectual property that we've contributed to the commons in the world and will contribute to the commons going forward. And what isn't free is all of the work we do to make an, a turnkey enterprise class package that, that, that enterprise class customers can pick up and distribute at hyperscale in their organizations from that point, right? So that brings us to the next thing. And, and of course, this is always the issue, right? So if you're going to make all the software and the IP open, well, how the heck do you make money, right? right. Sure. You know, we've, as it turns out, we've got, we've got um, venture capital funding and, you know, investors that want to see us, you know, turn, turn that, that into dollars as well. And, you know, for what it's worth, we're actually feeling pretty, really good about the, the shape of the business right now. We just came off the, the best quarter of revenue that we've ever had at Chef prior to this business model, um, this, this sort of model change around how we distribute software whatsoever. So we're feeling really good about the shape of the business, but, but just the inability to like have that simple conversation about what's free and what isn't. And what we decided was as we matured as a company and as the space has matured in enterprise automation, what we found is that the majority of our customers actually do want to have a very material commercial relationship with us. Cause not only do they want the software, but they want the support, they want the content, they want the expertise, they want the warranties and indemnities that go with all of that. And so for us, it was very simple. Like we realized at the end of the day that the, the most, um, that there was a, a, a huge constituency of our customers who, what they wanted from us was a very curated commercial offering out the other end. And so we've decided that that's where we're going to put our effort and our energy. And we're going to trust in the open source world to fill in the gaps for where that isn't the offering that they want as well. And, you know, we look at this model, Corey, I mean, obviously Red Hat's the poster child, right, for most, for much of the open source world in that, you know, they, they, most of their software, if not all of it was in fact open source and it was all in the packaging and the support and, and the, and that kind of thing. And it sounds very much like that's going to be the model here or am I wrong? It is no. I mean, there's a there's a there's a strong analog to what Red Hat has has done in the industry as well. And and what's interesting is I think that that is the antithesis of what we're seeing from a lot of the more recent moves in the open source industry, where there's a desire to either become more proprietary in some cases, or in other cases to try and somehow bend. I think the definition of of what is open source software. Um, and for us, it really you know. Like the core of it, we get back to the four freedoms and, and freedom zero is about the freedom to use the software, but it's, it's free as in freedom. It's not free as in dollar. Well, it's free as in freedom or free as in beer, as right. we used to say. But yeah. you know what, Corey, but to be fair to these companies that are, that we do see going another way, it's because they didn't cut it. They tried the, the Red Hat model 
and and for whatever reason they they didn't cut it and and they had too much pressure from their boards and the VCs and investors and so forth and and so they tried to take a path that was quicker to money. I'm not here to judge anybody's right. It, what, as someone in the Godfather once said, far be it from me to you know disparage what someone does for a living. Yeah. But it's I, I hold the same opinion, Alan. By the way, I like I sit in judgment of nobody on the decisions mm-hmm. that they make about what what's right for their business. Exactly. I just know for us, what was right is to try and both honor the open source roots that we came from, and to also serve the the commercial customers that were really sort of knocking at the door and saying, "Look, this is what we want from you. We want even more engagement. We want even more value out of your commercial subscription." So agreed. Before we jump into the next part of this, which is how it manifests itself within the chef kind of universe, yep. I, I, I wanted to just kind of tie a knot on this one and, and, and mention that, you know, when we, when we talk about this model and you said, oh, we're going to count on the open source community to kind of fill in the gaps. And one might say, well, what are those gaps? Because I, I think people have to realize what made Red Hat great was not just distributing Linux. It was that RHEL, right, and Fedora even before that, right? It was that package, that distro, that had everything you needed and wanted in there in a really easy to use, right? You didn't want for anything else. It was all right there, nicely done for you. Instead of running out, you know, and and having to download different packages and distros from from all over the internet, which is kind of like what held back, you know, Unix, Linux on the desktop for so many years. It, 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 there wasn't that one package that you could do that. And I, and I think, you know, that's what you're referring to is, you know, chef strategy going forward, going forward is to have that killer distro, right, yes. with all the right packages in it. And if you don't want to pay chef for that, and, and I don't think at this point, though people like software that's free as in beer, and they get free is in freedom with it. No one, no one, you know, no one denies that a company should be able to make a living, that a company should be able to make a profit, pay its employers, pay its developers, and and go forward. So, you know, but for people who don't either don't have the money or don't have the inclination to buy the packaged product, they can get the open source components. And the community can work on on giving you the glue in essence, right? That that puts these all together, correct? Absolutely, for sure. And um, you know, I mean, CentOS came out of that exact scenario, right? Which yeah. is the scientific community needed something that wasn't going to be ne- necessarily nearly as as um, as curated as Red Hat yeah. Enterprise Linux was, but they needed a platform for for scientific computing, and so. CentOS was born and has a place in that world. And, and, you know, I think our vision for that is exactly the same. If, if, there is a, if there's a downstream project that is born of Chef, Inspec, or Habitat, we welcome it into the community and we look forward to whatever innovations they bring. And we, we want to collaborate with anybody that wants to come and take that work out of the commons and, and, and create the derivative work out of it that allows them to, to meet whatever their goals are. That is the freedom in free and open source software, right? That Absolutely. Is, yeah. So. Absolutely. So I think one of the other things, though, Corey, is, you know, when we look at Chef over the last 
couple of years. We've seen, you know, the whole inspect line of, of security kind of functionality, and we've seen Habitat. And, and look, Habitat was an ambitious piece of, it was more than a piece of software. Habitat was an ambitious play. But because there were so many sort of balls in the air and going off in different directions and open, closed, proprietary, not, it, it never, see, people never, it, it like wasn't explained well enough to people. I spent the time at ChefConf, so I understood Habitat well. But, you know, there's maybe a thousand people at a chef conference that's composed of the millions of people in the world. And I think it was really hard kind of getting inspect in Habitat, kind of carving out their niche in the world amidst this whole confusion around the closed, open, supported, paid for, free, not free, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And I think this really helps us sort of simplify the messaging around that too. And, and I will openly admit, like, I think inspect is is an easier sort of basic value proposition to parse, which is, look, I need security and compliance in my organization. And the right way to do that is express it as code. So that should be fairly straightforward. And I think relatively non-controversial. I think with respect to Habitat, you know, what is interesting about Habitat is, I, I agree with you, super ambitious project right from the get-go to redefine the sort of the the abstraction of packaging and, and orchestrating the delivery of software in the world. That's a, that's, it's huge. There's a huge sort of surface area associated with that. I think what's interesting is that we've learned much. We've learned a lot over the last couple of years about how to help people in the mental journey of how to think about habitat in the world and how it relates to chef and, and having that foundation of understanding and knowing chef, which, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people already have, the ability for them to jump to where Habitat plays uh, becomes much easier in the world where we can, can where we can talk about them collaterally and not independently of one another. Fair enough. Yeah. So I think that's a great segue, Corey, to the next part of our conversation I wanted to have with you. And that is, okay, how does this manifest itself, you know, down the line of chef product? And, and services. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to put all our IP out as open, and I, I guess we should mention also, I think everything's being released under an Apache 2.0 license. That's correct, Apache 2.0. Yeah. You know, industry standard, GPL, Apache, probably the two biggest. But um, so how does this manifest itself? What changes does this mean? Does this, you know, mean for chef's products? Yeah, so, I mean, on flag day, when we sort of release new products with, you know, with new packaging and new terms and conditions. I, I mean, it's it's a it's an evolution that we've been going through for some time now, which is really to understand what the interface points are between the three core engines that we have. So we've created an engine for infrastructure automation, which is this Chef project. And and going forward, we're going to just from a purely from a branding simplicity perspective, it's going to be known as Chef Infra, which I think is fairly straightforward. I'm sorry, did you repeat that though, Chef? Infra, as in infrastructure. I-N-F-R-A, okay. Yeah, um, and then we're gonna have Chef Inspect for security and compliance. And mm -hmm. that the, the state relationship between infrastructure and security and compliance, are, are pre, it's pretty intuitive, right? Which is that if I, sh if I deploy an operating system and I want it to be locked down in a certain way and secure and meet a certain set of sort of compliance standards, then 
testing that on a continuous basis, man, managing the drift and being able to automatic, automatically remediate any drift that's happening there seems like a really obvious sort of relationship. What's interesting though is the relationship between infrastructure and application automation. Um, and, and this is where things get really murky even for longtime Chef customers who have been wildly successful in using Chef as an infrastructure automation tool. Because if you go and talk to those customers, what you'll find is that they're doing about 30% of what they're doing is about infrastructure deployment, provisioning, and, and you know, sort of shaping, locking down configuration management. And 70% of what they're doing is actually deploying software on top of the operating systems in service of some application that's going to come along at some point in time and need that those software dependencies uh, to be there. And so what we discovered, and this is really the genesis of Habitat, which I'm not even sure, like we knew that what was happening in, in the space of Chef was not working at scale for us. And so that's the reason that that some folks at Chef went off and, and decided to create Habitat. But what we didn't realize is why it wasn't working as it was at the time. And the reason is that there is a natural boundary for building systems from the bottom up in a layer cake approach. And it doesn't matter whether it's Chef or Ansible or Puppet or Kubernetes clusters or whatever, that there is a natural boundary layer that what if what you're doing is you're building systems from the bottom up. So you have an operating system and then you have system libraries and then you have packages and then you have middleware and then eventually you have an application. At some point that dependencies graph, the modularity of, of everything that you lay down and the dependencies graph gets so complicated that there's no possible way you can manage understanding what the implication of changing component X is on all the other components that rely on X. And so the beauty of Habitat and where infrastructure, where Chef and, and Habitat come together is that Habitat takes the exact opposite approach. And it says, look, what you should do is you should define an application, all of the applications dependencies and all of the orchestration steps that are needed for that application to run successfully in any environment, regardless of where it is. And so by doing that and by removing that layers, that bottoms up layers dependency, what we, we've really done is we've created an, an, an application stack, an enterprise automation stack is what we're calling it, where infrastructure and, and application automation marry together at a very, very clean abstraction level. And the abstraction level is essentially, if you're running software on the operating system that runs above the kernel, it should be defined by application packages and orchestration and not by infrastructure packages and orchestration. Now, it, it's architecturally, it all makes sense and it actually works really well in practice. Where it's complicated is that organizationally, INO, traditional INO operators and other infrastructure groups have been tasked with more and more software deployment on top of their stacks. And so this is a very paradigm shifting kind of idea. Um, and I think what is helpful for us is the enterprise automation stack allows us to, to create a framework and a template for how to do that in a way that helps customers adopt that kind of methodology much, much quicker. Fair, fair. So we got Chef Infra. Yeah. We have Chef Inspect. Yes. And Chef Habitat. Chef Habitat. Right. And Chef Habitat sort of sits, I wouldn't say it sits on top of them. No, there, I mean, look, the stack is, it's, you know, this is, we have a trouble with this, with our architecture diagrams and, mm -hmm. and 
if what happens in the, in the podcast now is you throw up the architecture diagram, you'll have what you'll see is sort of a linear stack of it. But, but the state relationship between those three things is much more complex that can be, you know, defined in a diagram in a like that. Diagram, sure. And then on top of that, then there's two other pieces of the portfolio. So we have Chef Automate, which is the observability layer on the top. So of course, mm-hmm. if you have automation on all these things, you want to be able to see across all of your pipelines, across all of your applications, across all of your systems, what is the state of everything that's running and, and how has it been deployed? And you know, is it in compliance or not in compliance, et cetera? So we've got this whole enterprise dashboard with automation up top. And then on the bottom end of the stack is we need to make it easier for developers to get started. So all of these engines are representative of either infrastructure compliance or application automation as code. And so what do you do as a developer? You download a bunch of tools, you get started writing code that are the artifacts that actually drive that automation. And so Chef Workstation is the compilation of all of those tools and an easy way to set up your development environment to get going. So that's the entirety of the enterprise automation stack. It's Chef Workstation, Chef Infrastructure, Chef Infra, Chef Inspect, Chef Habitat, and Chef Automate on top. Okay, and and repeat for me what all of these packaged together is the Chef Enterprise, yeah, the Chef Enterprise Automation Stack. Yep, and that's the that's the whole enchilada, so to speak, right? And that's it's all pack, and this is all packaged up in into one coherent type of product if we can call it that exactly yeah one coherent distribution absolutely so Corey, you know the news broke today and um around this and some are saying well chef is pivoting chef is this i mean how do you view this or how did you and the other folks at chef view this is this really a pivot because to me it's i don't see it as a pivot yeah it's not a pivot i mean first of all we've you know i don't think it's We've, the, you can question the um, effectiveness or the efficacy of our open source strategy in the past as we've sort of meandered through different phases of that. But this is us staying true to the fact that we are an open source company, right? Um, and so I think we're leaning into the business model by which Chef was founded and by which we've been operating for, for quite a while. I, I, think, I agree with you. I think from a technology perspective, just like we just have more clarity now in how to deliver the components of technology that have become, you know, critical to to customers that are trying to solve um, large scale enterprise automation problems. And so, I don't know that I would really describe it as a pivot. I think what we're trying to do is use this as an opportunity to reintroduce people to Chef who maybe haven't heard of the latest of our innovations in Inspec and Habitat, as an example, who maybe are are not familiar with the work that we've been doing in the, in the last three or four years. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a rebirth, but I wouldn't call it a pivot. I don't even know if I call it a rebirth. I mean, so here, look, you're in, you're in the forest, right? I am in the forest. There's no question. <laughs> I'm, I'm out outside the forest. And to me, but I'm, I'm, I'm obviously a pretty, I'm more than a casual observer. Yeah. Right. And, um, to me, Chef was always an open source company. Always. Right? And, yep. and I think in, in some ways, what we've seen with Chef over the last five years, I would characterize as growing pains for an open source company trying to come to grips with remaining true to its open source roots 
Well, at the same time, recognizing you took other people's money. And, and that's how I, I lived that life for 20 years. You take other people's money, they want, it's a funny thing. They want to get a return on their investment. And, um, you know, and so you, it's like trying to serve two masters. It's a hard, it's a hard. Not hard only that, but look, the commercial, the successful commercialization of any open source um, project or software company is how you actually create sustainable good in that community. Yeah. The long term, right? It's, yep. You need obviously you need participation from the community, but you also have to inject capital into that community if you want sustained innovation. Um, well, you have to extract revenue as well, though, and, yeah. and that's where I think it gets dicey. And and so when I look at Inspect and Habitat, I almost feel that at some level they were somewhat hobbled by having to live in this kind of schizophrenic. You know what I mean? Like open, not open, making money, not making money. Well, if it's totally open and we're not making money, how much do we put into it? I mean, there was just too much of this all over the place. Where to me, this is just a clarification. Look, Chef is and will remain an open source company. And our value to our investors is that, number one, we have this tremendous community around us, right, who are – users of our software as well as contributors to the community. But number two, we are now offering a a proprietary, a for-profit solution that takes the best of this and packages it up nicely. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, Alan, you make a, a great point. I would love to give a shout out to the community because the Chef community is absolutely amazing. I know you've been to Chef Comp. It's mm-hmm. it's an experience in and of itself in that like it's hard to to think of a lo- another tech conference that's as authentic and as welcoming and as diverse as as ChefConf is, um, mm-hmm. and it's a bunch of people that come together every year because they are passionate about solving the challenges of infrastructure management at scale and application deployment at scale and all of those things that you know that Chef is interested in as well. So the community is a really key factor of it. But to your point, is that there's just this growing demand in the enterprise and and you know, we are the experts in, in figuring out how to do that in a really, really tight curated way. And so of course we're going to, you know, take advantage of that market opportunity as well. So, sure. So we, we got the news out. Is there any part of the news we're missing, Corey? No, I don't think so. I mean, that really, that really covers the announcements for today. I think the only other thing um, is, you know, we've got ChefConf 2019 coming up in yes. Seattle. May 20th to 23rd in Seattle. Um, it's going to be a great event. We also have a chef comp for the first time ever, a chef comp coming to London um, at the end of June. It's May 19, or June 19th and 20th, I believe, are the dates. Really? London, yeah. Um, you know that I'll be in London those dates. I, I'll have to talk to you about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to see you there, and we'd love to see others there as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so we've got a couple of big events coming up where we're going to, you know, showcase the latest of the innovation that we've had in on all of the fronts, infrastructure, compliance, application automation, our enterprise consoles, all of that kind of stuff. So, so those are going to be fantastic events coming up. Um, and other than that, like we're looking, we're really looking forward to um, getting back to those community roots and, and really, you know, everybody sort of being there together in the in the trenches together building you know the next generation of what this is all going to be so cool so now let me ask you a question you know put on your your wizard's hat if we're talking about chef conf 2020 now a year from now 
this, you know, this, this strategy, this road has been, the strategy has been implemented. We're going down the road. How does it manifest, it manifest itself over the next 12, 24 months, you think? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, we've been talking about that from a product strategy perspective. And I think we've got, there's a lot of, of opportunity for us to do great work in pulling the pieces of the puzzle together even more explicitly. Um, we've, we're doing a lot of work with partners. And so I anticipate that that the ecosystem partners will be a big player in ChefConf 2020 as well. So we've been working with, you know, the likes of everybody from um, Microsoft and Azure DevOps and sort of the workflows there. We've got, uh, we've been doing some product work and, and continue to do product work with, with Amazon in the, uh, in the ops works for Chef Automate um, mm -hmm. managed and hosted to platform there. Um, we're, we're, you know, quite, uh, quite engaged with GitHub because we're seeing both GitHub and Artifactory and a lot of our customers in the, in the DevOps tool chain and pipeline there. So we're, we're doing some work with that. Um, we've been doing a lot of integration with services now. So I actually think that, you know, the next phase of this is not just about sort of the chef parts of the stack, but how do the, those parts of the stack connect with the rest of the ecosystem that is, that is, you know, fast emerging in the enterprise, um, in the enterprise automation space as well. Sounds cool. Well, Corey, we're about out of time. I want to thank you for taking time on what's a crazy busy day for you guys uh, um, to, to brief our audience on this. Congratulations to the whole Chef's team. Tell Barry and, and everyone else. Looking forward to ChefConf. Unfortunately, I won't be at ChefConf in Seattle. I'm in Europe. But we're going to have a full team there doing video interviews and everything. Uh, John Willis, our partner in Digital Anarchist, will be there and Chris Riley. So we'll, we'll have plenty of chef coverage from ChefConf. And like I said, I, and I didn't even realize the London one. We'll, we'll try to get it over there. I think that's Tech Week in London, actually, which is a pretty big week. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Alan. I appreciate you taking the time today as well. Um, look forward to seeing your, your colleagues at ChefConf in, in Seattle, and then uh, we'll see you in London in June. Absolutely. Hey, Corey Scobie, SVP Engineering and Product. I got it right. You got it right. You're talking to us about some some news coming out of Chef today, a little little bit of a change in how they package stuff, but they're still an open source company. Corey, thanks very much. Thank you, Alan. Take care. This is Alan Schimmel for DevOps.com, everyone. Have a great day.